Welcome to the BJU Press Teacher Edition Podcast, where Christian educators are encouraged and inspired as we bring you interviews, practical ideas, strategies, and answer your questions about teaching in today's culture. And here's your host, Jenny Copeland. It is so important to love what you do. Job satisfaction is so important in any occupation, and education is no exception. Yet as educators, we can become so caught up in checklists or so sidetracked and distracted by the frustrations that we can lose that joy and satisfaction. Sometimes we need to remember the why of what we do. Sometimes even small changes in how we teach or how we manage our classroom can make a world of difference in our enjoyment of what we do. What makes teaching or administrating satisfying for you? What helps push your day into that it was a great day category? We're going to talk about that on today's episode of the Teacher Edition podcast. But first, let me remind you to take a minute to subscribe to the podcast and go check us out on social media. We are Teacher Edition podcast on Facebook, and you can find us on Instagram and TikTok at Teacher Edition pod. I also want to invite you to go to our website, teachereditionpodcast.com. There you can subscribe to our emails and you can also submit your questions and your stories. I hope you have benefited and learned from the questions that we have shared and answered here on the show. I can tell you I have. The questions have been thought-provoking and I really appreciate when our guests weigh in and share their great insights. I know I have learned so much. But that being said, to share questions, we need questions. So please take a minute to visit our website and record a quick question to be shared on a future episode. So let's dive into today's topic. What makes education satisfying for you? Over my 20 plus years as an educator, I have had the privilege of crossing paths with a number of educators who just radiated a passion for education. And you could tell that they were settled and satisfied and they loved what they were doing. At the same time, I've also met educators who seem so unhappy and those who were so obviously unfulfilled and frustrated in their teaching or their administration. And honestly, I've even met some who just seemed to hate what they were doing in education. Well, we can learn from that group. I want to go back and focus on the first group that I talked about. Those who you can tell are satisfied and fulfilled in their calling as a teacher and who have a passion for their work as an educator. One of those educators is Don Sherwin. I first met Don, Mr. Sherwin, as I will likely revert to calling him today, when I was in high school. From the first time I met him, it was evident he was a teacher. He knew his material, for sure, but you could just tell that he loved it. He taught in a way that was understandable and reasonable, but also with a settledness and a steadiness in his classroom. There was a joy and a satisfaction he had from serving the Lord as a Christian educator. By way of a little bit about him, he has taught on the pre-college and the college level. He even taught in a one-room school situation for secondary students in Kansas. And I'm assuming that was there were no horse-drawn wagons and things like that. We'll just go with the, the one-room school situation. Maybe you can clarify that for us. He has served as an assistant principal and a principal in Wisconsin and Illinois. And he's currently the school principal at Marquette Manor Baptist Academy in Downers Grove, Illinois. He and his wife have six children, three of whom work in Christian schools and one who is a missionary. And of course, we can't overlook the three grandchildren as well. 
I have thoroughly enjoyed every time I cross paths with their family over the years. And honestly, the fact that several of their children are now also in Christian education is a testament to his ministry as well. When I reached out to him to see if he would join us for an episode and share from his experience and to encourage educators, he wanted not to talk about his role of a, as an administrator, but instead he wanted to talk about teaching his greatest passion, as he puts it. And that is just fine with me because I believe we can learn and be encouraged from someone like him. So, Mr. Sherwin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Jenny. So, I have a few questions for you today, but I'm hoping they are ones that will give us a sneak peek inside your classroom and inside your experience as a teacher, how your role as a Christian school teacher has been satisfying and fulfilling for you. I think we understand that doing what God has called you to do brings joy and satisfaction, but I'm really hoping that you can share some practical advice for our listeners and for me as well about ways we can help bring satisfaction to our daily experiences in our classrooms. It's amazing how even a small change or a small adjustment really can change the course of a day. So one element I clearly remember about your classroom is that it was an environment where students could learn. I never remember long lists of rules or policies. I never remember a raised voice. Instead, your classroom was an upbeat place, and it seemed to run on such an even keel. Although I'm sure you had it at times, I never sensed frustration or a frenzied environment, so you must have a secret. So talk with us about classroom management and why some teachers fail in the matter of classroom control. Well, Jenny, you've got very kind things to say. I appreciate it. And I must act pretty well because some days you're frustrated and frenzied, whether you show it or not. Uh, all of us face those times. Um, you know, I started out as a teacher uh, learning a couple of these lessons right away. Um, I think that uh, I was headed for teacher burnout during student teaching. And uh, right away, I, I learned probably the most important lesson about classroom control. When I was student teaching, I uh, was assigned to a teacher who didn't have very good classroom control, in my opinion, and uh, struggled controlling the students and keeping things on task. And suddenly, it was my job to teach that same class. And the very first day I tried to teach the classes, um, I went home and just about wanted to quit. Um, students who were talking out and not listening to what I was saying, and I, I, I was frustrated and and uh, feeling like yeah, rightly so. Feeling like there's no way I want to do this. And uh, I actually went to uh, the uh, assistant principal at that school, and uh, the next day, and I said, "What? What do I do? This is very frustrating." And he had been in the classroom, so he had seen some of the, the issues that were going on. And so he gave me some advice that I don't think this necessarily works for everybody. But he said, uh, today in class, you walk in and you address the class and you apologize. He said, uh, you tell them I was wrong yesterday. I let people talk. I let people be disrespectful while I was teaching and uh, stopping other people from learning. And that was wrong on my part. And I promise that I will not do that 
again. <laughs> and then he said, just just look for the wow. three the three leaders, the three troublemakers, and call them out and say, I want to see you and you and you right after class. And then teach your lesson. Well, the, the students didn't know me, and they didn't know what that would mean. And they so the rest of the hour, you could have heard a pin drop the whole class period. Uh, and they listened very well, huh, very respectfully. And after class, I pulled those three young people over and I said, look, um, there's been some problems with people talking out, not paying attention. If I have my back to the board and I'm writing on the board and I hear any noise from your area of the classroom, I'm sending you to the principal's office. What? What if I didn't talk? I said, that's okay. I mean, if I can tell who else it is, I'll send him and you to the principal's office. Um, but you cannot do that. So I sent them away with fear and trembling. Um, they came back the next day, and I didn't say anything. I just started the class and got things underway and got to work on a math problem on the board. And uh, I heard a student begin to talk out. And then I suddenly heard this other student go, shh, quiet. And obviously you had an impact. And, you know, honestly, the truth was that uh, assistant principal taught me a valuable lesson. It was my job to control the class. And if it didn't happen, it was my fault. Um, I'm, I'm not into threatening students. I'm not into doing that. I was having to correct a classroom that was already out of control. But can I be honest with you? Within within two weeks, um, the class was such a joy to teach, and they were talking to me at the appropriate time and the appropriate ways on my topic, not on whatever they wanted to talk about. And there wasn't a fearful attitude. It, you know, that dissipated over time, but I had to correct it. And uh, probably my willingness to apologize um, was probably the greatest thing I realized. That I wasn't wrong. I was wrong. Uh, so my student teaching ended up, ended up to be a very encouraging time uh, because each of the classes, I made sure that I controlled the classroom. Um, and people are allowed to talk about my topic on, on my timing, not their own. So one of the things I tell people uh, that I deal with as teachers is, and so you have to accept the responsibility. It's your, if, if your classroom feels out of control, it is in your power to change that. Um, if you allow students to do things, they will. And uh, you cannot teach somebody you can't control. If, if they're not under control, you can't teach them. So you're completely wasting your time. So it was a good lesson for me right at the start uh, of my teaching career. And uh, usually kids kind of hear the warnings ahead of time. Oh, you're going to Mr. Sherwin's class. You know, you got to behave there because he's not going to put up with it. Um, and I still, every now and then at the beginning of a new year, I'll have a student who didn't get the message ahead of time, I guess. And uh, maybe even the first day they'll start to talk or something or, or you know, lean over to their neighbor. And um, I will stop 
and I will just ask the student if they have something they need to say. And of course, no one does at that point. Oh, no, no, I don't, I don't have anything to share. So then we have a lesson on respect that, uh, you know, um, when I'm talking and sharing things that are important for the whole group, it's very disrespectful for you to start distracting and talking about other things. That's a matter of, di of disrespect. I promise if you have something you need to say, if you'll raise your hand, I will stop. And I will listen to you. I will not talk over you. I will not, you know, I, I want to respect you as well, but I demand that you respect me. And uh, thankfully that served me well. And uh, that helped me get past uh, that frustration that I first felt that very first day. Um, I was I was dreading my student teaching as I watched this other teacher. And that first day was a disaster and I thought, I'll never make it. And 30-some-odd uh, years later, it's still a joy to teach. Uh, and uh, so as teachers, please uh, accept the responsibility that classroom control is your, is your job. That is quite an experience. And it is a matter of respect. I mean, we're, we're allowing people to be disrespectful to other people. Now, I as a teacher have to remember, if they start a question, I have to stop and listen to their entire question and make sure I don't disrespect them. But I have found over the years, people, young, young people respond to that and will, will be respectful as I'm respectful to them as well. Um, I've had a few teachers who think that their class is in control. And I walk in and I say, you know, it's not in control. <laughs> do you realize you had to raise your voice to be heard? You know, did you, do you realize you were almost time to shout over the noise for people to listen to you. I said, that's, uh, that's not a sign of control. Uh, that's a sign of people who have their own conversations going on and their own um, desires for the classroom time. They don't really care what yours are at the moment. And I always want the students to be aware that uh, I'm still in control, and when I start speaking, oh, that must be important, because I wouldn't try to interrupt them otherwise. So even in a biology laboratory, when we're dissecting things and groups are all over the room and everybody's working, I want them to, you know, when Mr. Sherwin starts to speak, we got to stop what we're doing and listen, um, because there's instruction being given. And if I'm having to shout or, or raise my voice, then I'm not doing something right. So uh, I need to recognize it and uh, handle it uh, strictly, but warmly too. I hope I catch that balance. I'm not, I don't want to be oppressive in my classroom, um, but I want to be respectful and uh, efficient in what we're doing. That's great. That is quite the experience. And it's amazing, just like we're talking about, some of those adjustments that can make our classroom so much more satisfying, so much more enjoyable. I can't imagine that that classroom was enjoyable for that teacher, but that teacher had created an environment that I'm sure she wasn't or he wasn't getting a lot of satisfaction out of being in that classroom, but you demonstrated how a change can bring that satisfaction back. I can't even imagine. And you do hear teachers say, I don't know what to do. They won't stop talking. And I love your point about just take you know, take responsibility for that. You're the one accountable for that and make that adjustment and make that classroom a satisfying place to be. That's excellent. Did you have any other thoughts on that? Well, 
No, not really. I mean, some of it is just for me, it all comes down to respecting. I want them to respect me and I respect them. And, and I refuse, I refuse to allow that to not be the case in my classroom. Good thought. So you are someone who I would consider a master teacher from all angles, but we know that even the most skilled, experienced, knowledgeable teacher runs into challenges. So what would you say is the hardest thing about each lesson you teach? And since we're talking about a satisfying day in the classroom, maybe you can share how you approach that challenge. What would you say? Uh, my first teaching job uh, was teaching college kids. And uh, I had uh, assigned to me two different groups of people. I had one classroom where I was teaching future elementary teachers. So I was teaching them how to teach math, right? And I was pretty new at it myself, right? <laughs> um, and the second group was a, a math, uh, I don't know what number it might have been, 101, uh, you know, when you have a, you have to take a math class and you don't like math, but what's the easiest, simplest math to meet the requirement? That was the other class. The contrast was huge. Um, when I walked in the room of future teachers and I started telling them, hey, here's why this math works. Here's how you can present this concept. They drank it in. They could not get enough. And then I'd walk across the hall and teach my other class where keeping them awake was a challenge, uh, keeping them at all interested was a challenge. And uh, I realized, you know, a student's motivation makes a huge difference in their learning. Um, if they're not motivated to learn it, if they don't want to learn this, if they don't see a need to learn this, if they don't care, I can wax as eloquent as I'd like to. And uh, I am very, very ineffective that day. Um, so I worked hard at learning to motivate students. Now, I wish I could say a like, college 101 class turned around greatly, you know, but I, I don't know that I was greatly successful there. Um, the other class, they were so motivated to learn. And when I showed them new things, they wanted to learn it. It was the easiest teaching I've ever done. So in my high school classroom, I have, I have a mixed variety of people coming to that room. Some who like the math and science classes and some who are only there because I'm forcing them to take the class. Um, and the, the variety is very different. But I've found over the years, if I can do something to, in some way, make that class more interesting to that child, to make them feel a need for it, to enjoy it, uh, if nothing else. Um, I love to tell the stories behind the science experiment. Because even if the student doesn't like science, maybe I'm going to catch a history chord in that student. Um, or maybe I'm going to catch something that was novel in their, in their mind. <clears throat> Just picking up where I left off yesterday and trying to remind them of what we did and why it was so important yesterday. And now we're going to build on that today. 
gives them a sense that, hey, we're going somewhere, we're, we're doing something with this. Um, I, love to, uh, I love to do review games at the beginning of class where uh, I have them earn their seat. You know, that have everybody in the room stand up. You cannot sit down until you answer one of my questions about yesterday. Um, and if you want to stand the whole hour, that's fine. But, uh, so I'll start asking questions about yesterday and, and I'll be careful. You know, you've got the student who isn't the quickest to answer. And, uh, you know, if I've got an, an easy question, I'll make sure I call on them quickly uh, so they can get their seat. I don't want, I'm not trying to embarrass anybody, but on the other hand, I expected them to learn something yesterday and, hey, get a chance to show they knew it and a little pressure on them in a fun environment. Um, and we have some good time with it. And uh, I eventually get everybody seated somehow. Um, not always the way I would like, but <laughs> somehow you, you get them seated, right? Uh, what class is this has been asked a couple times just to help somebody get a seat. <laughs> uh, I love review games before a test. Uh, do different different types of games sometimes. Um, little Stratego, they, they really like Stratego. Uh, we'll do baseball, we'll do around the world, we'll do a number of different things. Uh, but some of those, um, the, it, it just makes the class fun, it makes it enjoyable, it makes it so I want to walk in that room. And uh, if, I, if they want to learn, uh, it's so easy to teach. I don't know about your audience here today, but I know I've never had a computer class in my life. Um, but I wanted to learn and I wanted to know more and I wanted to know how to do these things. And I wanted to, uh, become better at this. And, uh, so, you know, you, you, you can learn things you want to learn and it's easy to teach me new things because I want to learn. them. So as far as a teacher goes, I would advise everybody, you know, think through why do they, why are they going to want to learn this today? What, give them a reason. Uh, if you can't come up with a good reason, <laughs> come up with a game to make it a fun way to learn, you know, just so that they, they enjoy the learning experience. Learning does not have to be boring. Learning does not have to be uh, a drudgery. Uh, I have heard teachers say it and I just cringe every time well, this is really boring. I never really got this when I was a student or, you know, you'll probably never use this, but we've got to go through that. Man, you might as well throw that lecture away. That, that is a waste of my time. Uh, I won't listen to you that hour. Uh, and uh, so as a teacher, in addition to classroom management, take that as your responsibility if my kids are not enjoying my topic, I take that as my fault. Uh, I oftentimes tell students when they come in the door, welcome to your favorite class. Uh, welcome to your favorite class today. Because, you know, at the end of the year, I want them to say it was my favorite class, or at least it wasn't as bad as I thought it might be. <laughs> I think that... Uh, students will 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 learn so much more if they learn to love the topic at all. Yeah, once again, that goes back to the teacher. It does. For sure. Well, to be honest with you, I have met very few students who couldn't learn or wouldn't learn given the right teacher. Um, I have, 
I have failed a number of students over the years in different areas, um, but it's pretty rare, and it ought to be extremely rare. And it's my fault if they're failing. Um, and I need to do whatever I can do to do that, to change that. Um, I would say one other thing. Um, I love learning new things myself. Um, my class can almost always tell, oh, Mr. Sherman must have learned something new today. He can hardly wait to tell us, right? It's, oh, this new new discovery that came out, this, oh, man, I did this, and there's a new way to do this. So um, as a teacher, they need to sense from you that you love what you're talking about and they, that, that you're still wanting to learn more about it. I've had to teach that one-room schoolhouse in Kansas was, well, I can't tell too much, I'm afraid, but, uh, well, there was a time many years ago when Bob Jones University Press put out a curriculum called multi-grade classroom. Um, and so I was recruited to go to the school in Kansas, and they used multi-grade classroom. But they needed somebody to teach the high school end of it. Oh, that's great. Well, when I got there, I didn't realize ahead of time that multi-grade classroom ended in sixth grade. Um, and so when I arrived, there were these piles of teacher's editions uh, for all of the grades 7 through 12. Um, there was a growing experience for me um, because uh, it was uh, just regular textbooks, regular classroom situation I walked into. Um, trying to, in an abbreviated fashion, teach 14 or 15 lessons a day in different classrooms, different ages and whatever, um, grew me a lot. It stretched me a lot. Um, but in that day, I had to teach English classes. English was not my strength, not my, not my forte. Um, there are some English teachers at college who would laugh to think that I had taught English, uh, probably. Um, but the truth is every day I walked into those English classes pretending that I was in love with literature and I was in love with this grammar and I was, I, honestly, I was learning new things every day. Um, but, uh, some of those students went on to get master's degrees in English you know? and it's like, oh, couldn't be because of their teacher, um. But, but I think in some ways, the willingness of me to put aside personal preferences maybe and passionately go after English. Um, in fact, during the summers, I decided I would read all the classics of American and British literature, you know, the ones we talked about but never kind of got around to reading. I wanted to find out why are these classics, what, you know, so... I want to read all the leather stocking tales. I want to read Moby Dick. I want to read um, the American. I want to read all the stories uh, that we never quite finished or whatever. And, you know, I discovered there really is a reason those are classics. And uh, it gave me a new love and appreciation for the written word. Um, so in some, in so many ways, as a teacher, you've got to, you've got to keep investing in your own excitement about the topic because that comes out in your teaching. And when it becomes ho-hum to you, then it's ho-hum to everybody else. 
Yeah, a teacher who is a learner makes the best teacher. His students can tell, makes such a difference. Great, I'm loving this. Okay, I think we have time for one more. So the final area I'd love to talk about is teaching strategies. And for me as a teacher, I remember the satisfying feeling when I observed students understanding and engaging as I taught. It was rewarding and fulfilling to see that learning process taking place. I remember your students feeling like they understood the material you were covering, and I never heard angst or agony over trying to get through one of Mr. Sherwin's classes, and you had math and science, of all things. So somehow you made things understandable. So what is your secret sauce? How did you do that? Maybe I could ask it this way. What teaching strategies do you use to help students actually learn the most? Uh, that's a hard one because everybody learns so differently. Um, so I'm still a right on the right whiteboard kind of person. I love to write things down. Um, but one of the things I think is important for young people is to learn note-taking. And so what I usually try to do is give them notes on the board that are kind of the general outline for them to fill in. I'm not a big fan of giving them PowerPoint presentations that have all this material, they've got a textbook, right? Um, but what I need them to do is assimilate and put in their own words what they're trying to remember. Um, so what I try to do um, these days still is I'll write on the chalk, write on the blackboard, write on the whiteboard. Uh, if we're talking about a certain category of animals, right? I'll write down, here's the phylum, here's the, uh, and then the first thing is characteristics of these animals. And then I'll say, you know, there's going to be five characteristics of these animals, and I'll write one, two, three, four, five on the board, but I won't write the rest of it. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start talking about, all right, the first characteristic is, and I'm expecting them to write down in their own words those thoughts, and I'll give them time. And at the end, I'll often say, okay, there are five. Did you get them? What are they? Let's go through the list. Did you get all five? Um, and it's not necessarily, if I write down the five words on the board, they will just write those down, and that's where their thinking ends. If I present the material and they have to come up with the word and put it in that spot, um, it, it's helping their learning, their thinking while I'm talking, not just, oh, what was the word? Oh, I got it down. I don't think anymore. Um, I find too often if I give out notes to somebody, you know, they missed class. Here's the notes. Okay, there's five characteristics. Here are these five words. They want to memorize the five words. I can care less what those five words are. I want them to know what those five words mean. I want to understand. I want them to understand what an opposable thumb is for a primate. Um, you know, memorizing the word opposable thumb, big deal, you know. But if you know what that means and the implication that you can grasp things, you can hold things, you can pick things up, um, then it's like, and, I, and on tests, I'll sometimes have a student say, you know, your thumb can, can help you pick things up. And I'll give them credit for that, you know. They didn't know the phrase opposable thumb, but that's okay. They understood the concept. So 
for me, note taking in kids, I require everybody takes notes. You know, you I've always got the student. Uh, I don't need to write it down. I'll remember it. No, you you write it down. I want you thinking. I want you writing. Uh, at least core thoughts. And then for strugglers, I'll often tell parents every night they need to come home and for five minutes, they just need to go through those notes and kind of remind themselves, what did that mean? What did that mean? And if they'll just run through those notes for five minutes, it will vastly change their test scores. Um, So note-taking and and summarizing that information. um, I I like to ask questions and... uh, I don't do it enough. I need to, I keep working at that. I need to ask more questions. Um, but I'll, I'll usually start with a simple question, but then I make them go a step beyond that question. So, you know, what is, and I'll ask a simple recall kind of question. And then I'll say, well, why was that important? Why did we talk about it? Why did that come up? Um, you know, what was significant about that? Make them go back in their mind, not just to the phrase that they're trying to memorize, um, but but why is it important? And make them put it in their own words. Uh, and that seems to help a lot of students stay stay engaged. Um, they're not drifting off. They're not gone. And, uh, and it makes them stop just being satisfied with, you know, I memorized my five terms and that's all I need to know today. It's like, no, that's not what it's about. And then I don't let students give me the wrong answer. Uh, if they get it wrong, I'll rephrase the question and ask them again. Or I'll tell them where it is in their notes, or I'll say it's on page 372, and it's in the third paragraph. And all right, then some I have to give up on, and I'll say, okay, let me have so-and-so help you. And and they help them, and then I come back to that person and say, look, okay, what was the question? So what's the answer now? Good. You got it? Yep, we got it. Um, I don't want them, I've seen students, I don't know the answer. Well, find out. We're here in this classroom today to learn. And if you don't know something, I'm giving you the opportunity to figure it out right now. Uh, But we're not going to be satisfied with I just don't know. I don't, I can't come up with it. Sure you can. Sure you can. And real quickly, last thing I'd say is I think that for me in a math class, I try to demonstrate thinking. So I will often work through a problem on the board, but I'll verbalize the whole time where, okay, how do I know what to do next? What's my next step? I'm actually demonstrating the thinking that goes on in their brain. Um, and that seems to help some. And usually after one or two example problems or whatever, I tell kids, you, you, you can go ahead as fast as you want, work on the problems. If you're not sure, I'm going to do another one. Of course, when I'm verbalizing, I'm not going real fast. And it's not, so my faster students, it's like, we're not waiting for him. They're going to, they, they start going ahead and they're, they're working on the problems they're going on. But that slower student is still watching me, and they're still learning the process, and I may have to do it another time. And they're only going to get two problems done in their homework because they had to watch me do them step by step. The other students are flying along. That's fine. But they need to learn that 
that uh, thinking process, and I can demonstrate it on the board and verbally in front of them or on my iPad in front of them or however you choose to do it. Those are great. And I really like in all three of those, in the note-taking, in the questioning, and getting that right answer, you're focusing on helping them think, not just here, I'm going to hand it to you or let's buzz on through this. That's a life skill, thinking. And in the culture we live, everything is instant. We want things fast and easy. And thinking is hard. And I think I mean, I've even noticed with students coming up, there's a change in that. It's just hard to think and they don't want to take the time and stop and do that. And I love that you are teaching them to evaluate and analyze and find those key points, not just hand it to them. That is really a life skill. And I, I love that. That's a, just a great point for us to remember. Did you have any other comments you wanted to add there on that last point? You know, Jenny, I think that um, if people work at it, they'll find ways that work for them. Um, Sometimes I, I have to judge teachers and sit in a classroom or I've even had some Sunday school teachers say, hey, you know, give me pointers on on what I should do as a teacher. And I, I look at some of these people who teach so differently than I do, but they're very effective in the way they do it. So sometimes you just have to try different things until you find your groove, find what works for you, what fits your personality. Um what you can do. Uh, and sometimes that's so different than someone else. Um, but, uh, but it's whose job, my job. And, uh, if they're not learning, they're not in control. That is, I cannot be satisfied till I find the solution too. Excellent point. You know, for some, the things you shared today are good reminders. And for others, They've been provided new insights to consider and apply in their classrooms. There is satisfaction and joy in using the gifts and talents that God has given and in serving the Lord in education. And these ideas are practical ways that we as educators can experience satisfaction, even in those tasks that just seem so mundane and so every day, just bring that extra joy to the classroom. So thank you. Thank you for being an example of a teacher who has a passion for Christian education and a love for the students, and a satisfaction, contentment, and joy in what God has called you to do. And thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Judy. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you were challenged and encouraged as I was. Remember to go to teachereditionpodcast.com to submit questions for upcoming episodes. Of course, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media. Now, it's time to get back to your day. But it's not just any day. Every day in the classroom is your day to impact and inspire through God's power and His grace working in you. Go do what God has called you to do.